You are Locked On Nittany Lions, your daily podcast on the Penn State Nittany Lions, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And let's welcome him in, Derek Johnson of Locked On Jayhawks. Derek, I appreciate the time doing this on the fly as, I mean, I know that Kansas has to adapt and find its next offensive coordinator, but I see some moves have already been made here. Uh, Derek, thanks so much for the time. Thanks for uh, being able to come on the show here and discuss what this means for Penn State and what you were able to see at Kansas. Before we move further, Derek, what can you give the listeners, the viewers, a, a background of what you do with Locked On Jayhawks and everything else you do in radio in your local area? Yeah, I, I work with uh, Locked On Jayhawks, obviously covering the team every day, and I, I do stuff with Rock Chalk Sports Talk. It's our local, we're the, the flagship station in, in Lawrence, Kansas. Kansas, uh, three to six, Monday through Friday on, on the radio in town. So uh, plenty plugged in with, with everything going on here with KU. Perfect. So you are the expert to discuss exactly this. Um, and I, I think, and let and we have the live chat going. So if you have any questions for Derek specifically of what he's seen out of Kansas's offense and, and what this moves mean and how it can adapt to the Big Ten, but I'll, I'll get it started off. Uh, what What is Kansas losing in, in Andy Kotelnicki? going to Penn State. What was he able to do that worked so well at Kansas? What is he leaving behind? So Kotelnicki is the ultimate, um, I guess, chess kind of guy. Like he, he is very multiple in his offense. Everything he talks about is that he wants to be the hardest offense to prepare for week in and week out. The very uh, process oriented is Kansas overall as, as a program, including himself. And he is someone who that is his goal. His goal isn't put up X amount of points or do this or that. Now they're a lower tempo team. You look at some of the point per game numbers and, you know, Kansas still ranked well in the big 12, but you look at the yards per play. If you look at more of the efficiency stuff, they're one of the best offenses in the league. So, um, you know, like for instance, they're top three in yards per pass. They're, they're one of the best yards per run team. Last year, that was the case too. They were one of the ones up there with TCU and in some cases were better than TCU in like yards per play and rushing yards per play. Uh, so not a, not a super high tempo, very balanced. They run and pass kind of equal amounts. And it's not one of those guys who he's like, oh, we have to run and pass equal amounts just because he will do in certain games. They will run it more. They ran for mm -hmm. almost 400 yards against UCF. In certain games, they will throw it all over the field. They threw for like 400 yards against Oklahoma State. It just kind of depends what you're trying to take away, and they will do other things. A lot of weird formations, a lot of weird shifts, a lot of weird motions, a lot of different personnel packages where they have specific players utilized in specific personnel packages. He is an excellent offensive coordinator, and uh, I, I think Penn State's getting a really good one. Is he Now, you mentioned balance and the creativity. If you had to go one way or another, is he someone that is going to really – are the running backs going to benefit more? Or does Drew Aller and Bo Prabula, because we saw that he wasn't afraid to use two quarterback systems when both of those guys were available, Daniels and Bean, and it worked very well. It wasn't just a one-off play where the two quarterbacks would come in. It was integrated into the game plan and something defenses really had to plan for. But one side or the other, is he more of a running backs guy or is he more of a quarterbacks guy? Here is really just balanced. I mean, it, it's going to hurt a little bit of the, the top running. Like Devin Neal, for instance, 
who's the Jayhawks stud running back right now. He has over 1,200 yards. He only has like 183 carries. So if you look at there are 11 power five running backs right now that have 1,100 or more rushing yards. Devin mm-hmm. Neal is first among all of those 11 in yards per carry, but he wasn't on any of the, the Doak Walker semifinalist list or anything because – you know, they're, they're splitting carries with the other guy. His saying he's had in the past was a pair and a spare. They like to have two running backs. They rotate in. Both are going to get similar to equal carries. And then the other guy is kind of just the late in game or if there's an injury. Uh, with the quarterback, it's a quarterback-friendly system because of a lot of the motions are going to help you figure out the defense, mm-hmm. make the reads for everything. And uh, because you run the ball well, I mean, it's just – it, it, the one thing that'll be interesting is they, they ran a lot of QB runs here at Kansas. Obviously that doesn't seem to be as, as much of the skill set of drew Aller. Um, mm-hmm. I, he has been someone though, whether he's been at Buffalo or Kansas, they adjust to the personnel. So as much as I look at what he's done here at Kansas, I don't know how applicable it will and won't be to Penn state. Some of the stuff will, some of it won't. Um, they had QB injuries. They, they never really were rotating quarterbacks at Kansas. Like that was something that, that goes back to Lance Leipold. They don't like to rotate quarterbacks. They, they like to stick with a guy. The only reason it's been multiple quarterbacks here is just because of injuries. Um, but you go back to his days at Buffalo before Kansas. He had one year where they led the Mac in passing yards. And that was when Tyree Jackson, who ended up going off to the NFL after, was their quarterback. The very next year when he went off to the NFL, they became the number one team in the MAC in rushing yards because they adjusted to their personnel. So he really is whatever you have, he is going to emphasize that. He is not really, you know, I have to do this or I have to do that. Um, but certainly it is a balanced offense, one where, you know, like KU has some really good receivers. You look at Pro Football Focus, they're top 10 in the country mm-hmm. in receiving grade, but they don't really have anybody who's above, you know, 700, 800 receiving yards because it's, it's a bunch of receivers. It's a bunch of tight ends it's a bunch of running backs it's balanced between running and throwing the football so um a really good offensive coordinator tough to prepare for and uh he, he just kind of helps everyone because he makes everybody's job a little bit easier Derek how would you say the big 12 the caliber of defense in the big 12 was this season and may and in the past two years I I think it's definitely one of those things where it's underrated obviously you get the idea of the big 12 from when like I was growing up and it was everybody was running air raid or spread. And you think of the year with, with eight with like Sam Bradford and Colt McCoy and all these guys, it is, it is kind of transitioned. I think one of the big teams to do that, Iowa state, like they've had a top 20 defense in some years, like top 10, top five defense uh, over the past couple of years. And a lot of teams have started running what they do, which is this kind of like three, three, five stack. You see other teams run variations mm-hmm. of it, like a three, two, six, and it's helped slow down some of the passing games. So you've had like good defenses in the big 12 here lately, like Oklahoma's a top 35 defense. Texas has a top 15 or top 10 defense. Iowa state's got a top 20 defense in the country right now. Kansas state typically pretty good on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, if you look at Bill Connolly's ESPN SP plus, uh, the Big 12 is basically in line with the ACC and the Pac-12 in terms of defensive rating right now, uh, overall as a conference. Mm-hmm. So it's it's no longer like there was a couple of years ago the Oklahoma State team that lost to Baylor in the Big 12 title game. That team was having statistically, by some measurements, the best defensive Big 12 season like ever. So it it actually has started to shift a little bit. It, it's still not a fully defensive conference or anything like that, but there are a lot more better defenses. And like I said, kind of in line with what the Pac-12 and the ACC are at right now. We'll get to the comments in just a moment. I see some good questions here. Another one I wanted to ask Derek was the what his his overall responsibilities uh, at, at Kansas because he was the offense. He wasn't a position coach. He was the offensive coordinator and the associate head coach 
James Franklin says he values head coaching experience uh, above all else, especially for his coordinator spots. Joe Moorhead was the Fordham head coach when he took over. And then, yeah, I know some changes were made and they didn't necessarily get that head coaching experience that they wanted at the OC spot over the past few years. But then Manny Diaz comes in and he's a former head coach and James Franklin reiterated again, I need, I, I want head coaching experience experience as best as I can. Well, Kotal Nicky has not been a, a head coach anywhere along the way, but he has had the associate title at Kansas. What were his responsibilities? How did Lance Leipold allow him to run his system independently? Yeah, Leipold very much is kind of more of your CEO style of head coach. And, and he kind of sits back and, and lets guys run things like he doesn't interfere. He's in on everything and they all are very kind of meshed together and understand the same message and same type of thing they're doing. So they're all on the same page. And once they're all on the same page, it is very much, you know, I kind of let you do what you want to do and, and let you be yep. loose in certain ways. So, yeah, from that standpoint, he he doesn't have the head coaching experience, but he has been basically given that, you know, you are the head coach of the offense, so to speak. Let's go to the, the comments here. And I like this one from Steven. How are his in-game adjustments and does he do it fast? I imagine that not necessarily tempo, but how quick is he to say, all right, this isn't working. Let's scrap it. I've also seen Kansas fans say that Kotal Nicky, some of his best coaching comes from when Kansas was at a deficit. What would you say to all of that there? Well, so this year, Andy Kotelnicki had to be uh, into a position where they got to their third string quarterback. So Jalen Daniels comes in as the preseason Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year. Right. He injures his back. Um, then Jason Bean comes in. He's playing really well. And then against Texas Tech, Jason Bean gets injured. Their third string quarterback was a former walk he true freshman walk-on quarterback. They gave him a scholarship yeah. about a month ago. He has to come into the Texas Tech and Kansas State games. And in both of those games, you end up, um, you know, they're shut out at halftime. They adjusted well at half. They put up 13 in the second half, struggled a bit in the red zone in that game, but you saw it get better. Kansas State game, they come right out of the locker room and score a touchdown. Uh, the TCU game last year, which was the game that um, they ended up losing 38-31, to 31, uh, Kansas was was shut down at halftime of that game. And Jalen Daniels gets hurt at the end of the half. They have just three points at halftime against TCU. They put up 28 in the second half against TCU. So okay. he's adjusted well at halftime. He's been able to do more with less. Yeah, whether they've gotten to the backup quarterback or the third string quarterback, he'll adjust to what you kind of need to have happen in both of those areas. Um, I, I think really the only, I guess, knock at times is sometimes it gets too cute. You know, uh, there are a lot of trick plays, okay. a lot of fun formations. Sometimes you'll get the comments about, oh, you went too far there. Or just, you know, be normal on this possession or be normal on that play or, or do something like, you know, for instance, KU was down 13-10 to Texas Tech. And uh, there was certainly some, I don't know, uh, outcry about this call. It, they, they ran a wildcat with the running back and let him throw the ball on third and goal from the four against Tech when they were down three. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then ended up not getting it. It was his first throw of the year and everything like that. So sometimes that can be the one knock. But as far as adjustments, he tends to adjust. And and maybe it'll, you know, uh, if they come in with a game plan of we're going to run it down their throat, maybe they'll try it for a couple series. But if it starts to open up, like, for instance, this past week against Cincinnati, uh, Cincinnati was throwing a bunch of numbers to stop the run and they were mm -hmm. stopping. I mean, Kansas had two drives without points on the, to open the game. Uh, and then all of a sudden Kansas started opening it up and Jason Bean was 10 for 10 at halftime passing the ball. So he will adjust as the game goes on. He makes pretty quick adjustments as the game goes. We'll take one final uh, question from the comment section. How does he call a game for a pocket passer versus a mobile quarterback? 
Obviously, with Kansas, he's had the mobile quarterback, Jalen Daniels and Jason Bean. Now, Cole Ballard is more of, I, I wouldn't consider him a mobile quarterback. He's more of like a moxie type of runner where he can run, but it's more of just like, you know, he's not outspeeding or anyone. When they do have the fast quarterback, you'll see them run a bit of triple option, read option. You'll see him run speed option to the outside. Um, when you have the more, I don't know, a pocket passer type, um, you won't see him call that stuff as much, but he's still going to call you know, some of the speed option stuff, because that can just involve reading the defense and, and knowing when to pitch it more than anything. Um, at Buffalo, that would probably be better for that because at Kansas, he's had it the entire time. At Buffalo, he did have at times, like I think Kyle Van Treese, he wasn't like a super mobile quarterback and they were able to call an efficient offense. That became more of a running offense and a play action offense. Uh, so, you know, with more of a pocket passer, maybe more under center, more play action game, whereas versus with the, uh, you know, more mobile guy. Maybe you are going to see more of an option type of game. Uh, but like I said, he, he tends to adjust and, and he's a really good uh, offensive coordinator at picking and choosing stuff from around the country, from the NFL, that he'll make work whatever personnel they have. So I, again, I, I don't know how athletic Drew Aller is, but I, I wouldn't really be mm -hmm. worried about it because he has been able to adjust over the course of his time as the offensive coordinator, wherever it's been at Buffalo or Kansas. Drew isn't exactly a statue but he he's not your straight line track star speedster. He actually, I mean, Mike Yersich utilized him more so than we thought he should have been a, as a dual threat quarterback. Drew Allers, he can get you five to seven yards on third down when you don't spy the quarterback. And he's actually really good within, within the pocket. He, he has good tight area speed and, and I would say quickness, but if you're talking about a 40 yard dash, Derek, it's, it's, it's no, it's no contest that other guy's probably going to win, but Drew Aller, by no means as a statue. Uh, Derek, I won't take up too much of your time. I got two more questions that I think are, are pertinent here. And it's how is Kotal Nicky as a recruiter? Because Penn State doesn't make this move if there isn't some influence on recruiting. Well, that's what's kind of interesting here is that when you look at KU's recruiting class, you know, if you compare KU's to Penn State's, it's, it's not going to be, you know, it's for Penn State to be a bad recruiting class. But for KU, it's one of their best recruiting classes that they've had in quite okay. some time. But a majority of the guys, Kotelnicki was not the main recruiter. And on a majority, he wasn't even the secondary recruiter. He okay. more so was just kind of a guy over that, you know, all the, the coaches, they meet with all the coaches and, and you get your conversations and everybody kind of has the same message for KU. And so from that standpoint, he was. But um, from the KU perspective, he wasn't one of their big time recruiters. Like they have a four star quarterback from Detroit, Isaiah Marshall, who just won the state title for mm -hmm. them. He, he was recruited by the quarterbacks coach who now has been promoted to co-offensive coordinator since the news of Kotelnicki. Yep. And then like they have a bunch of these big recruits from uh, Arizona. One of them has like offers lately from Michigan and stuff as a defensive end, but that was their defensive backs coach. So he hasn't really been known for being a recruiter. He is a super gregarious, funny guy. Like in the press conferences every week, he brings people candy. He uh, brings up, you know, thought teasers to open things up. He's a funny guy. He has a good personality uh, more than, just football he's, he's a really good dude um but i haven't seen like a huge impact on the recruiting trail so i don't know that kind of remains to be seen for me okay i mean that's interesting because if james franklin feels confident in what he has as a recruiting base the the network that he's built the coaching staff devoted to that maybe kotal nicky is brought in to simply just coach and game plan and call the right plays uh, but that would make sense and then he just focuses on what he needs to focus on instead of being spread too thin. Derek, final question I have is Kansas seems like they, you know, uh, Lance Leipold, the, the players are committed to him. 
And with what Penn State has, a quarterback, running back, wide receiver is obviously a huge question mark here. What I'm getting at is, do you think that Kotelnicki will bring any Kansas players with him in the transfer portal? It's definitely possible. Um, Jim Zabrowski, who they, again, promoted from QB coach, he has a good relationship with, with a lot of the players. And if they retain the rest of the staff, I, I don't totally know. Now, I, I don't really expect, I mean, Jason Bean's graduating. Jalen Daniels already announced he's coming back to KU for next year. So okay. I, I think he'll be back. Um, when you look at the uh, the running back position, like Devin Neal, who's their stud running back, he might just go pro anyway. And he's a Lawrence kid. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think that would be in the cards. Uh, when you look at the receivers, there has been a little bit of murmurs that maybe there could be some movement with some players leaving. So that would be the one that I'm kind of looking at. Now he is the tight ends coach at Kansas. So maybe you would look at, you know, some of the tight ends, maybe, maybe some of those guys would, would bring along, but like Jared Casey's a local Kansas kid. And uh, he is somebody who, I don't know, like, I, I don't expect him to go there. And, and I think I saw a comment earlier, Penn State's had tight ends as a, a strength. So maybe it doesn't make mm-hmm. sense. Plus KU's all big 12 tight end is graduating at the end of the year anyway. Um, so I, I don't know, I guess it wouldn't shock me, but um, at the end of the day, as long as KU retains their staff, I don't know how much is going to interest Penn State. So it wouldn't shock me if, if maybe a receiver or something like that does end up going over. But I could more so see if KU loses a couple players because this move, maybe it's just out in the open anywhere else in the transfer portal. So Kotal Nicky did have influence on the tight ends, you're saying? Yeah, he was the tight ends coach in addition to being the offensive coordinator. Okay. Used him in a ton of ways. They, they had a bunch of packages where they had two tight ends on the field, three tight ends on the field. Uh, they threw to him a good amount. They were key in the blocking game. And I think Mason Fairchild, who was, you know, didn't really have a ton of production his first three years at Kansas, he's now turned into – he was second-team All-Pig 12 last year. He was honorable mention Big 12 this year. He might have a chance in an NFL shot, maybe as a late draft pick or as an undrafted guy. Jared Casey, he's turned into a really valuable player as a former walk-on. So he does a lot of work on the uh, the offensive line and tight end game. He's a former offensive lineman himself from back in the day. He, he ran a, a triple option offense when he was playing back in the day. So, yeah, he, he worked most closely with the tight ends. I, I don't know what he'll be doing at Penn State. Okay. Well, that makes sense because I did say, because I, I want to correct myself then because I said he didn't really uh, work with the positions as closely or didn't have a position title. And that's from the Kansas website it said that he was the offensive coordinator and the associate head coach. So I wonder if maybe Ty Howell switches to quarterbacks or something like that. And I know Ty Howell's the tight ends coach currently at, at Penn State. And then uh, Kotal Nicky takes over tight ends and is the offensive coordinator as well. But he's definitely he's probably going to be dropping that associate head coach title. Yeah, it could, and and also it could work with the offensive line because his experience there and tight end and in a way is an extension of that. So it wouldn't shock me one way or another what he's working with. But I, I think overall, I, I would be very excited if I were a Penn State fan. Uh, this guy gets a lot with less. This guy gets a lot of matchups for his players. He runs a pro-style offense in some ways in that they're going to use personnel in a pro-style, but he's going to be creative with it. The amount of motions and uh, formations and creativity that he uses is subpar, and uh, I know certainly people are missing in him, and uh, already you know, some of the message boards here are freaking out about losing him, So, which is, I, I think, a good sign for, for another school picking him up. Derek Johnson of Locked On Jayhawks joining the show. Derek, I appreciate the time. Before I let you go, just what's next for you, coverage of the team, basketball, whether it's for uh, your podcast or the radio station? 
Yeah, we're just waiting to see what bowl game Kansas is going to be in. And uh, obviously, we're, we're covering this with a different side of things. You know, for ours, it's how are they going to fill in? How are they going to overcome this loss? Obviously, KU basketball has got a big game this week against Connecticut. Uh, top five showdown between the last two national champs. So uh, plenty of basketball coming at you, too. And uh, yeah, you can find all that stuff on Locked on Jayhawks. All right, perfect. Derek, thank you so much for the time. I, I wish you well. And I know this, this might be a one-time thing here, but who knows? Maybe at some point Kansas can match up with, with Penn State in a basketball game uh, or, or a bowl game in the future if Lance Leipold is able to stick around as well. Yep, there we go. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Zach.